like getting dressed up for Sundays, but it takes a lot of work. And I don't mean my work. I need help. <laughs> my daughter always makes sure that my necklace is straight. My son helps to make sure the microphone has the right parts. Got another son helping me out with my PowerPoint. And my wife makes sure that my hair is combed, my shoes are clean, and my tie matches. It's, it's a team effort. So if this is a bad message, it is not my fault. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Let's have the PowerPoint, please. <laughs> Prunes and promises. Larry Gregory always makes it a point to try to give me humor for my sermons if he knows about them ahead of time, and I have a bad habit of not telling him until the day of. But today, he was still able to give me something. He said, oh, so this is going to be like a regular sermon. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Prunes promise regularity. But that's not my point. Because I'm not talking about prunes the noun. I'm talking about prune... The verb, to trim, to cut off, to remove something unwanted or not needed, to shape as desired. And we all suddenly get sober because we understand that this is, historically, this is the reference to God pruning us. He prunes us spiritually as well as physically, that we may bear more fruit, according to John chapter 15, which I'm going to read more of in a little bit. We usually associate this idea of pruning with some amount of suffering or being uncomfortable, having to be brave, having to give up something or lose something. And I don't know about you, but I usually wince inwardly at the idea of being pruned. It doesn't sound like fun. But we sometimes forget that every pruning from God comes with an inherent promise a hope for fruit and the endurance of the seed. Because it isn't just prune that's a verb. Promise is also a verb. God does them both. The last two Sundays, hope has been a prominent theme. I think we must need it. I know I do. I am so thankful for the sunlight. <laughs> I was hungry for sunlight this week. Three straight days of thick fog, morning, noon, and night. I don't remember that ever happening before. Of course, I'm getting older. So maybe my memory's not 100% like it used to be, but... Hope. We need it. We need reminders of it. If we look around us, if we look at the wind and look at the waves, there are always reasons to get discouraged, aren't there? Election season is upon us. Yeah, everybody's real up for that, I can tell. I don't know anyone who feels confident that this contest of ideologies in the entertainment forum of national media will bring peace and harmony to our increasingly polarized nation and church. Everyone I know is apprehensive about either the process or the results or both. And the weather has been stranger than usual. 
while being seasonally consistent with some of the worst experiences Oklahoma weather has to offer. It's easy to feel down if you look at circumstances. Got hope? No. Want some? Join me as we walk through a garden and listen to the gardener where we can find hope in the very ground. Whoops, come back. There we go. We have some fruit trees in our yard. And each year they put on fruit for the squirrels to destroy. And we try to snatch some before it's too late. But every winter we have to trim off some of the branches. There are several reasons for this. First, some fruit trees grow best in certain shapes. Apple trees, for example, need sunlight in the middle. It's best for apple trees if they have branches going outward and space in the middle. They kind of hang over. And it's a pretty look, too. Most, they are most productive when their central branches are trimmed away and the outer branches grow larger and fuller. Too much branch crossing through the middle and the tree produces very poorly. But guess what? Do the apple trees understand this? No! Every year they put just as much effort into central crossing branches as they do into outer branches spreading into unoccupied space. It's like they don't get it. It's like they don't know what's good for them. Like they don't know what they're really made for. So they get in the way of their own destiny. And they make work for me and my loppers. And more firewood. Another reason we have to trim the branches of our trees from time to time is because of the power lines that are near them. It's important to prevent the opportunity for ice or wind to break the branches such that they fall on the lines and force us to live by candle power for hours or days. And again, the trees don't understand this concept. Do they purposely grow away from the power lines? Oh no. They put on big, heavy branches hanging right over the line. Yet another reason that we have to trim trees or plants is to change the focus of the chemicals that the plant produces. Plants sometimes get stuck in leaf mode or branch mode instead of fruit mode, and they need some help to get into fruit mode. Trimming can help with that. Not speaking English makes it hard for the plant to get on board with these efforts. So we have to force it on them for their own good. Although we get plenty of grief from the Leaf Makers Union about it. We also have a garden. And sometimes some plants get infected with worms or with blight or something else. And some parts have to be removed by the use of hand shears to prevent the spread of destruction that would kill the entire plant. Again, the plant seems to have no idea what's going on and makes no visible effort to assist me in saving its life. Sometimes the diseased part is hard to get at and I have to work harder to help the plant because the plant gets in my way. Now I love the plant. I want it to live and be fruitful. And I'm willing to make sacrifices to achieve that end. 
even to the point of sacrificing part of the plant itself. Sometimes I see a plant not thriving where it is. Maybe it needs more sun or less sun or better drainage or it's suffering from too much wear and tear in a high traffic area. So I look around, find a better place, get my shovel, dig up the plant, roots and all, and transplant it to its new home. I add fertilizer, water it well, and see that it has good support, especially in the weeks right after the move. I do this so the plant will thrive and reach its full potential, blessing both me and other plants nearby. But the plant does not understand. It does not see what I see or have any idea, as far as I can tell, that its purpose and meaning affect the other creatures around it. It does not, for example, make any effort to get out of its old home or to move itself where I go or to thank me for improving the situation. The nerve. The cheek. Honestly. There are even times where a large tree or plant dies completely. Time and space. It's taking up too much time and space. It has to go. So I dust off my chainsaw, fire it up, hopefully, cut it down, and add pieces to our ever-growing burn pile out in the yard. Again, the plant has made no effort to assist me. It hasn't fallen over, or uprooted itself, or broken into the right-sized pieces, or aimed itself to land in our dump cart to save me time and effort. Silly plants. They only knew, right? <laughs> in all these examples, we laugh at the idea that the plant would know or even care about my purposes, or that it's even capable of offering assistance. Even so, we gardeners, we tree trimmers, I know you're out there, we care so much about these trees and plants that we are willing to devote time, money, effort, tools to their care and keeping. We anxiously watch the weather. We water and we fertilize. We plan our activities around their well-being every single year. And winter is the time for most pruning. It's time to get rid of the things you don't need. Time to cut off the things that use up time and space, that drain resources but contribute little. The time when the plants are asleep is the time the gardeners must be active to carry out the steps that will allow them to do what they want with their garden when spring hits. You ever feel like God... Pruning, rearranging, reshaping, remodeling, or just messing around inside of you? God's pruning often comes on the heels of loss, pain, and disappointment because we are willing to let Him in. Our current season of fasting and prayer is an ideal time to surrender more to the gardener and let Him do His perfect work. Make time to listen. 
Fasting is a good way to refocus. It's a good time to help us get better tuned in to what God has already been doing and saying. Let him lead you to let go of those things that are taking the place of something better. Let him do a new thing in you. We were made to grow, you know, to grow and change. We were made to change as we age. We were designed to become more and more than we ever were when we began. God has new branches, new blossoms, and new fruit in mind for us in our future because he loves us. It's a biblical character who knows exactly how it feels to love a plant. Jonah. I don't think he's the patron saint of gardeners or anything official, but remember how he loved the shade from the plant that God caused to grow up next to him while he watched for God to destroy Nineveh, even though he knew God was merciful and had just shown mercy to Jonah for running away? Yeah, I don't quite understand Jonah's motivation either. According to the book in the Old Testament, after Jonah got comfy in the plant's shade, God caused a worm to eat the plant, killing it, and removing Jonah's shade, which Jonah complained about bitterly. He may have been a leafmaker's union rep, I don't know. Do you remember God's response? God reminded Jonah that God had made the plant, that God had done all the work to make it grow. Jonah had done nothing in this regard, but developed strong feelings for the plant nonetheless. God, by comparison, had a much greater right to any feelings about the plant. And he used this to remind Jonah that he, God, had even greater rights to the people of Nineveh, whom he had also created all by himself, to say nothing of God's rights to Jonah. If Jonah was going to be grateful for God's mercy to him twice, how could Jonah object to God's mercy to others? God cares infinitely for each of us. Just as we care for our uncaring plants, he cares for us when we are uncaring, getting in the way, jeopardizing the health of ourselves and those around us, using up resources and producing no fruit, and making his job in us harder or harder on us than we have to. He cares about us, and he also cares about the fruit we were made to produce. Because we were made to produce fruit. And the Bible mentions fruit in many places. In Genesis 1, God creates fruit from plants before he creates man. You remember why? He makes the universe. He puts stars and planets in it. He makes the sky and the sea. He puts birds and fish in it. He makes the land and the plants. He puts man and the animals in it. He makes and furnishes the home so that when he makes the person for whom the home was made, it's a good fit. 
He wanted man to have something to eat. Genesis 1 also tells us that God's first command to man involved being fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. Add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Fill the earth and subdue it. This same command is given again to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. Be fruitful, multiply. And is repeated other times in Genesis to successive generations. In 2 Kings 19.30 and Isaiah 37.31, the remnants of Israel and Judah, respectively, are predicted to take root downward and bear fruit upward. In Matthew 7 and Luke 6, Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. Fruit is, uh, outer fruit is uh, consistent with inner character over time. In Galatians 5, we get the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And there's more. But wait, there's more. The All 1995 channel. More, I say. little help. Whoop, okay, coming back. Eh, nope, too far. Stop, okay. <laughs> Colossians 1.10 talks about bearing fruit in every good work and growing as both being desirable results of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Psalm 1.3 tells of the righteous bearing fruit in season beside streams of water with leaves that do not wither. The Leaf Makers Union loves that one. Psalm 92.14, the righteous will thrive like trees in the house of the Lord, bearing fruit still in old age. Woohoo! Healthy and green. Psalm 105.24 gives credit to God for his people's fruitfulness in the face of their enemies. Psalm 128.3 describes the wife of a godly man as a fruitful vine and sons as young olive trees. And then in Revelation 22.2 describes the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of monthly fruit with leaves of healing. Some of these are more spiritual in nature. Some of them are physical and spiritual. But fruit is an important theme. We are fruit of God's labor. Our transformed character is the fruit of God's work in us by his Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. I'm going to read part of it because it talks a lot about God's gardening and our being fruitful. John chapter 15, verse 1. I, Jesus said, am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit. So it's a compliment to be pruned. You're producing fruit. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. It's a working together. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working in us makes fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. How could you not? Because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Moving over to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Fruit. It's what he does in us, through us. Lots of it. And fruit that remains. If you ever have a fruit tree, you don't usually get all of the fruit. It's hard to time it properly. Usually what happens is you pick one too early because you're impatient, and it's all green and sour and hard, and you're like, okay, we've got to wait. At least that's what we do. And then you get out there like two days after they've started to ripen, and what happens? Some of them are already on the ground. But what happens when fruit falls to the ground? It's God planting seeds, isn't it? We didn't have to make the fruit fall. We didn't have to go out there and convince the plant to make fruit, did we? God makes fruit in us, through us, and the fruit is made to remain. Boy, that's comforting. Some more scriptures. In John 15, in Psalm 80, and in several chapters of Hosea, God's people are likened to a vine that bears fruit. God is called a gardener, the keeper of the vine. He fusses over us. Kind of like we fuss over our plants. Preoccupied. Checking on. Caring for. This is God caring for us, checking on us, paying attention to what happens to us. It's a reason that the writers use this imagery. Jesus also says no branch can bear fruit by itself. We must remain in the vine, connected to the vine. Our fruit is God's glory, not our own. Take some pressure off. Our destiny is his responsibility insofar as we belong to him. Do you realize what that means regarding pruning? If we are connected to him, then when he prunes us, he feels it. 
He knows what we are going through when he prunes us. The better we are connected, the better he can help us to adjust to his pruning and to bear more fruit. He is pruning a part of himself as we are connected to him, just as if we would trim our nails or our hair. You ever know someone who is, I would say, fastidious about their nails? I'm one of them. My wife used to just gape at how much time I would spend on my nails. And I don't even paint them. (laughs) Uh, Fussing is a good word. Possibly obsessed. Each of us is highly sensitized to the state of anything connected to us, right? You ever bend your nail backwards? Ever get an ingrown toenail? Speck in your eye? Something stuck in your ear? We pay a lot of attention to those things, don't we? It's like we can't help it. It's like everything else in our world just has to stop because, dang it, there's something in my eye, right? It's hard for us to pay attention anywhere else when those sensitive parts, something's messing with them. We are keenly aware, nay, driven to distraction from the attention we pay to the smallest parts of our bodies. How much more? Does our Father pay attention to us, even as he prunes us? In fact, I think especially as he prunes us. For we are in him, connected to the vine, a part of his body. So when God allows something hard, something painful, something unjust, or something confusing, when he takes away something we love, something we're used to, something we value, something we worked to make, he is not being arbitrary and capricious. He disciplines us, prunes us for our own good and very carefully. Lest we forget our flesh needs disciplining or it will be a snare to us. So pruning is the opportunity to practice trusting, to practice obeying, to develop our compassion and our patience. And good fruit is what we have to look forward to. Fruit that will last, Jesus said. We remain in him, we will bear much fruit. It is to his Father's glory that we bear much fruit and show ourselves to be his disciples. And he calls us friends, not just servants. How carefully we would prune a close friend if we had to do so. How much more carefully and intentionally does our Heavenly Father prune each of us. In Ephesians 2.10, written, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his special project of expression, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for fruit, 
If fruit and glory are the inescapable result, then bring on the pruning. For pruning is the promise of spring, the promise of fruit, the promise of life to us and to those around us. Just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and causing seeds to sprout, causing grain to grow to feed the hungry, so the word of God will not return empty, but will accomplish his purposes and prosper in what it is sent to do, says Isaiah in chapter 55. When we stay connected to Christ, we will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. That's a promise. Now, besides being tasty, fruit has the added feature of being a seed-bearing vehicle. Wherever it falls, new plants grow. Our fruit was made for this, to cause new growth, new connections to the vine, new places of beauty and vitality in the midst of hard conditions. Our fruit is a witness of the vine himself, the gardener who made us, and appointed us to bear fruit even as he prunes us. Pruning means promises. And God's promises never fail. There is hope, even in this season. Even if you have prunes or leaf maker union reps to deal with. Because spring will come. God will finish his perfect work.